evening, and welcome to Fantastic Voyage, the David Bowie podcast. I'm Jesse. You sure you're not Alfred Hitchcock there? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm in the mood. <laughs> uh, I'm John. Today we're talking about our first movie. Well, it's the second movie we've mentioned. We talked about Bowie's intro into film for very briefly, which was, uh, was it called The Image, right? Oh yeah, when he's the the painting of him comes to life and yeah. haunts that guy. Yeah, great uh, little fifteen, not even fifteen minutes, but it's like a ten minute short. That's fun, but we're talking about his first feature film today. That is the Man Who Fell to Earth. Bit more to talk about in this one than we would have had for <laughs> the ten minute the image film. Yeah, I often call this the man who sold the world by accident when talking about it quickly oh like you know the man who sold the man who yeah yeah to earth world same kind of thing i just typed it into my google search engine and the same thing well i I typed like the man who fell to sold the world or something (laughs) yeah he fell down while selling earth yeah 1976 so he recorded this or he filmed this before recording station to station kind of while he was writing a couple of the songs for it. Um, And it premiered, or was released anyway, I don't think there was a big premiere, uh, in March, uh, March 18th, 1976. Put out by British Lion Films, who went under that same year. (laughs) They didn't maybe go under, but I think EMI bought them out. It's kind of funny that this was one of the last movies that British Lion ever put out. The movie is based on a novel by Walter Tevis, uh, which was it was written in 1963. Uh, he had a lot of things. Well, not a lot, but some major th- uh, novels. Returned, some, some of his works were turned into major uh, films, uh, most notably probably The Hustler with Paul Newman and Jackie Gleason. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. Oh, that's uh, with Fast Eddie and Minnesota Fats. It's like a pool shark. He's a hustler. That sounds good. Yeah, and then... Uh, I'm looking here. Queen's Gambit, look, that's a huge one now, right? Yeah. Que- that's like a TV show now. Yeah, with uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. It, it was a Netflix, I think, limited series. Well, th- did you see that this movie or this novel is also being turned into a TV series? Yeah. I just saw the trailer for it, like a teaser trailer, like this week. And I thought, wow, that's incredible timing. Um, yeah, it's coming out soon. I think it's a... It's a series. In the right. springtime, it's set to come out on Showtime, and it, a pretty decent cast. I know Naomi Harris is the big one that I recognize. You may know her from the latest Bond films as the new Money Penny. That's where I primarily know her from, but I'm sure she's done other things too, right? Like she's in uh, one of those cartoon, or not cartoon, one of those comic book movies. Uh, yeah. Uh, She's in bigger stuff, but like I said, I'm not the biggest uh, movie expert, so I'm probably the wrong person to be. Uh, Now, I can't say his name properly. Chuwietel Ejiofor? I don't know his first name. Chuwiet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's also in it, and he uh, he's great. He was in 2012, you know, that movie about the end of the world. The uh, Martian. Yeah, 12 Years a Slave was his big one, I'm I guess. seeing a theme here. He's in those kind of movies. Uh, tragic movies. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. Or movies that have a you know a tragedy. Yeah. Um, another one of uh, the Color of Money, which was the sequel to um, the Hustler, was also a Walter Tevis novel, and that's the one that's with Tom Cruise and Paul Newman. Where Paul Newman won Best Actor in that movie, and it was one of those like the Academy Award for Best Actor, and it was one of those cases where like he got robbed from winning it in mm. in sixty. 
one or two or whenever the hustler was so they gave it to him in the 80s and i i hate award shows i hate the oscars in particular uh i, I don't know I, I shouldn't say i hate them i just I, they don't hold any merit as far as i'm concerned yeah that's not an unpopular take i don't think either it's they're kind of except the grammys are the same thing it's it's a joke but Bo- i mean has the, bowie ever won a grammy probably not i don't care enough to know <laughs> yeah. probably ha- I don't, who knows who cares who knows uh nick rogue nicholas rogue is the director um you may know him from the witches 1990 i love that movie growing up did you watch that you're probably too young no eh? the roll doll movie with uh angelica houston i know rogue mostly from just the movie he or the movies he's done with like rock stars like he did performance, performance. with jagger and yeah. obviously this one that's kind of where i'm more familiar with his work I, i'm guessing though that he would would have been influential for somebody like i could see david lynch really liking nick rogue Probably just for, yeah, like, the, the imagery or just the, the randomness and weirdness. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say, like, the, the, the concept of time and just, like, yeah. the pacing. Well, the dreamscapes, yeah. really. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, I recently watched Performance for the first time, and that's a pretty weird movie. I, I don't know. I wasn't a huge fan of it. Well, I, Jagger was considered for this movie as well, right? Um, uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, well, I sort of remember reading that somewhere but to me and I guess this is kind of like cliche to say that it would be it couldn't be anybody else but Bowie to play this character or the movie would have been a totally different but I really can't imagine Mick Jagger pulling off what Bowie it would just totally redefine the character oh, of definitely Tom. yeah and I mean I'd read that he was casted because of what he did in Cracked Actor it okay. was shown to Nick yeah. Rogue, like, hey, you gotta see this, and he went, yeah, that's the guy right there. Is, is this not Cracked Actor kind of extended when he's driving through the <sighs> desert? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, he was doing, like, I guess the reason he's able to pull his character off so much is because he was apparently doing, like, cocaine every day, and he he didn't even read the full script. Like, he would just read his lines and kind of get through the day. And that probably really helps, because that makes sense why he seems so alien, right? Yeah. Like, another actor yeah. probably wouldn't be able to pull that off well and he but he definitely did read on this on 300 the books <laughs> yeah I, I i saw 400 books <laughs> i know so if mick jagger's doing this he's not going to bring 400 books he might buy no. 400 ounces of jack daniels or 400 teenage girls or something or but. 400 shots of vitamin b12 to <laughs> inject into a bandmate's wife's ass like he does in performance definitely not keith richard's favorite movie that one um <laughs> Yeah, I wonder who he would have slept with in this one had he been cast. Anyway, um, back to the man who fell to Earth. Bowie was originally going to do the score for this, or the soundtrack, whatever you want to call it. But now there's kind of mixed versions of what happened in terms of him not doing it anymore. Bowie claimed that he didn't want to submit any work if he wasn't going to have exclusive you know oversight over everything but uh when when rogue said that there's going to be other composers putting music in bowie was like well you can't have any of mine if it's not all mine or something and uh harry maslin said that he might just not have been able to complete it due to his physical and mental state at the time Mm -hmm. bowie later kind of maybe hinted towards that too yeah, I seem to think it was just like a cocaine-induced interview where he was kind of spewing that 
his that side of the story that you were saying that right. kind of isn't really corroborated by ever, anybody else. Mm-hmm. And he seems to not really deny that, yeah, that's... The other people were telling the truth, and he was just kind of in a manic state and spewing nonsense. And apparently he sent Nick Rogue a copy of Woe with a note saying, uh, this is what I wanted to do for the soundtrack. It would have been a wonderful score. A little bit cheeky, perhaps. Like Side 2 specifically, probably. <laughs> yeah, well, Subterraneans comes from his this project. Mm-hmm. That's the one that was directly from from this, so yeah. But who actually does the soundtrack? I know John Phillips had a hand in it. Yeah, and there's... From the Mamas and the Papas, which yeah. is incredible because I just don't peg him as the type of person... I mean, I only know him for his Mamas and the Papas work. I don't peg him as the type of person who could pull this soundtrack That's off. That's exactly really, what I thought, too. really good, though. I mean, it fit the, you know... Yeah, he was... Yeah, I didn't... And it definitely fits the kind of Americana direction that Rogue takes the soundtrack, too. Um... Another Stones connection, though. He So, yeah, Phillips was the musical director, but he brought Mick Taylor, who had just left the Stones, in to help him out with the composing, which is really cool, too. Um, there's also another artist uh, named Stonewu Yamashita, I think I'm saying that right, who does the like the instrumentals on it. Uh, I, I think, you know, when he's going up and down in the elevator and just some of the... During some of those dreamscapes that we talked about earlier... And, and that, when I, you know, I listened to this soundtrack very briefly, uh, just kind of leading up to this, and that I just couldn't get enough of that. That was, like, was really cool ambience that definitely fits a lot of those really off-putting scenes that kind of make you dizzy. If you, <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I, I felt dizzy a couple times watching this. Not in the worst way, but... Well, it, it's definitely like a dizzy movie. It's a, kind of more of like an art house thing. Mm-hmm. Definitely more avant-garde. I think that's sort of the Achilles heel and the strength of the movie, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, uh, I know exactly what you mean. Because, like, you know, this movie definitely withholds exposition. Like, there's not a lot of exposition going on. It, it kind of goes for atmosphere over, like, your typical, like, linear plot line. That is something I can appreciate, because one of my least favorite things in a movie is when they, they have, like, this overdone exposition dump, right? Yeah. You're certainly not getting that here. But then you're also kind of getting a lot of things that maybe aren't explained. You're probably going to watch this movie be confused. And it's definitely something that... Or it's definitely a movie that I appreciate a lot more my second time around watching it, which was last week, as opposed to when I first watched it, you know, five, ten years ago or whatever it was. Yeah, the, the first time I watched this was... Oh, it would have been five or six years ago. I was still living in my apartment, so it was, it was a while ago. And I actually borrowed... Uh, a hard copy from friend of the show Elston Gunn the Fourth, and VHS or DVD? Uh, it was a DVD. Uh, and when watching it, I was lost, so I kind of had to Google like what happened afterwards because I, I didn't know. I, I, are we going to get into spoilers? I guess. I would, yeah, I mean, you're watching a yeah podcast so, about it. Listening to a podcast. About spoiler a <laughs> warning coming up. Um, yeah. Anyway, there there were. Th- things that I didn't understand in the plot and I had to fill in the gaps with, you know, your friend Google. And when, when you have to do that, that's not really... Sometimes you kind of, uh, uh, okay, did this movie do enough then to drill everything home with one watch? I mean, some movies are definitely kind of made to be watched multiple times. I'm not sure this one really warrants that, but it kind of needs that. So that could be, like you said, the Achilles heel, heel of it. Um... Actually, a funny story about that time I watched it. So uh, my wife, Sarah, was 
uh, away on a work trip. She had to travel a lot with a previous employer. And she was away. Uh, she was coming home that night, though. And I was watching the movie. And she opens the door right in the middle of uh, Mary Lou pissing herself. <laughs> and she would kind of just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what are yeah. you watching? Like, what? Do, I leave for two days. And this is like, yeah. anyway, that was the most unfortunate timing possibly ever and i'm all into it and she's like what <laughs> some heavy stuff on the screen but anyway yeah so that was my first time watching it second time watching it was recently uh in preparation and it made a lot more sense knowing what was going on as it was happening in the especially in the early stages and yeah it just it, it made a lot more sense the second time through as where sarah was watching it for the first time with me and she didn't know what the hell was going on so I had to fill in the gap. But if the plot isn't its strength, I think maybe Bowie is the kind of what carries this movie. Uh, his performance in it, and now we are incredibly biased, of course. But, you know, I, I don't fancy myself uh, a, a cinephile. Uh, I'm really into movies, though. So maybe I do fancy myself a cinephile. And I think he puts on an incredible performance. Yeah, and there are, like, I guess, like, the point of the film is that Bowie is, I mean, he's this alien creature who maybe, the main point is he comes to Earth because there's a, his his planet is drought-stricken, they need water, yeah. so he's coming to Earth, and he has all these technological advancements, and he's going to, because of, you know, his he has a superior race, I guess, on his planet, and he becomes rich fast. He starts off by selling gold or something. He's selling gold rings, and eventually he's got millions of dollars. And But what kind of becomes his downfall is that he becomes corrupted by getting accustomed to, like, human society, right? He, yeah. he falls victims to... Or he falls victim to human vices, like the television, like uh, gin, right? He becomes an alcoholic. Sex. And it Love. sort of, it, it, yeah. it tears it him apart. Him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Money. <laughs> Money too, I would imagine. Is he kind of Elon Musk in this movie? Yeah. Maybe I, yeah. a bit. I don't know. I, it, I'm not convinced that Elon Musk isn't an alien. I don't... <laughs> Sorry, Elon. But I, I think the scene that was the most central to the film for me, or I guess not the scene that it's seen, uh, are the ones of him and his family where it's sort of like the flashback. It's sad. It's very sad. It, it, yeah. It's uh, it was the most captivating for me. You know, uh, you, you see them and you know his the, the alien species that they are, kind of very expressionless. They're very plain. They're just yeah. kind of, and they're just they're so close together, right? It's almost like a pack of animals, and nothing matters to them other than they're together, and. You know, being with family is so important to Bowie's character, and he has that line where he's talking to Rip Torn's character, is basically shaming him, right? Saying, you know, you should spend more time with your family, right? And yeah, I, I suppose what those sequences of him and his family represented to me were like living creatures in their most natural state. Yeah, you don't see them with any possessions. I mean, other he has a vehicle of some sort, but that's like the utmost practical possession that he needs. To get back to them, right? It looks like what the Tusken Raiders ride in in Star Wars, kind of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like a shuttle or something. Yeah. But, you know, other than that, it's just like this blank backdrop. It's just them together and nothing else. Now, the reason this hit home for me is because that's very close to what I was imagining the first time I ever tripped on mushrooms. I felt this oddly powerful 
connection to my family, like to you and to mom and to dad. It was to the point where I actually had this urge to text you guys and to like explain what was happening and that I loved you. And, you know, I, I had this vision that's very similar to that in the movie, just kind of like us close together. I guess had we been born as a pack of animals, right? those clips of just togetherness are probably the only things that would matter to us, right? Now, luckily, I came to my senses and didn't text you guys because, you know, explaining that you're tripping on mushrooms is not a conversation that you want to be having with your parents. You know, you don't want to worry. Hey, Mom, your... it's four in the morning, but... <laughs> No, you don't really want to worry or frighten them. But to wrap this up, I'm kind of digressing madly here. The reason this stuck out to me is is because one of the main takeaways of the film to me is that it was the more unnatural things that corrupted Bowie's character, Thomas Newton. You know, he fell to earth with seemingly nothing more than this bond with his family, but he soon develops this obsession with television, an obsession with gin and, and, and alcohol, and, you know, there's these experimental procedures that the government perform on him. And they cripple him, and he's reduced to a sad and tragic existence. And yeah. it really kind of makes you question the human experience as we know it today. And it, for me, it kind of served as like a metaphor for our actual lives. Yeah, and he never loses that desire to be back with his family. You know, he makes music after. Hoping that they'll hear hoping it. Hoping that they'll hear yeah. it on the radio somehow, and then he, they get his message, which is, yeah, it's a cry for, for his family. And you know... I, not to try to just make everything about COVID, but has this pandemic not kind of brought... I, I, now, that's how I relate to it. I had my daughter uh, March 13th, 2020. Uh, that was the day that everything shut down. Uh, if I wasn't... If if she was born on her due date, I wouldn't have been able to have been in the delivery room because they didn't allow support people in the hospital because mm-hmm. they thought at that point that, you know, we couldn't do anything. And... So this whole two years has been a, it's been a different kind of experience than what we anticipated being parents. And it's felt very pack-like, like Like we're, it's just, Mm -hmm. you know, us and we don't like, I live, we live a simple life and that scene definitely hits home because that's been me for the last two years. And the thought of being, having to, to go out and to, you know, what, what Tommy Newton has to do, like that's, that's scary you got to leave that yeah. to try to protect that and and your planet i mean i guess like the idea of the plot like or the idea of the story is great but i think maybe how it's delivered in the context of film maybe could have been outlined a bit more they could have maybe just well, given us a little bit more to to chew on there could have been i think there's a lot of unnecessary bits that maybe take up too much real estate in the film. Like the like, blank gun scene going on for Oh, that's minutes. crazy. <laughs> yeah, if you want to see Bowie's penis, fast forward to... Well, the, uh... I mean, the, the, yeah, there's a lot... Him and, like, Mary Lou takes up a lot of real estate in the movie, and, you know, uh... That was yeah. the most curious part of the movie for me, because it almost seems like it was occupying too much. But then it, it kind of made sense to me when I just glanced at Rogue's wikipedia page and found out that he was divorced in 1977 so maybe this was like his divorce movie <laughs> maybe the same way yeah. like you know street legals bob dylan's divorce album and yeah. he spends kind of a lot of time on like i guess like the the idea of like maybe betrayal and he spends a lot of time on their relationship he doesn't really bowie doesn't really have a relationship to mary lou in the movie he seems like more amused by her than he is right attached to her he can't be attached to her really in, in any way no, you know, he, yeah, that's actually in- interesting because I wrote down that 
Mary Lou, just my notes, Candy Clark, like, love interest, but it's not really a love interest. It's more no. of just, like, yeah, he, like, kind of uses her, in a sense. And then she it ends up being the beginning of his demise, though, introducing him to, like you said, you know, takes him to church, introduces him to music, gin. Good uh, advert, good product placement, or Beefeater Gin gets, uh, probably got a boost in sales from Bowie drink gin drinking fans. <laughs> Was, um, oh, yeah, go ahead. There was also, I found, a, kind of an unnecessary plot point, which was uh, Rip Torn's character, right? Nathan Bryce, when he's sleeping with all the college students. Yeah. Like, at, at the time, it seems like it's going to be something very pivotal and important. It's going... You're thinking, like, is this going to catch up with him? Is he going to get in trouble? Or is it going to help explain something later on why he's doing this? But... It doesn't really seem to have a point other than he's just sleeping with these college students. And he, he changes, I guess, but they didn't have to go through with all of that yeah. to, to explain that, maybe. Like, maybe it's supposed to help make his character undesirable, but I don't know. I just walked away from that a whole bit thinking it was just to put those sex scenes in the movie to make us uncomfortable. Because, like, the, the, these are the most uncomfortable yeah. sex scenes known to man. Uh, <laughs> Bowie actually had, I had a quote written down where he said, uh, Nick does revolting stuff that creates such challenging vignettes. Nick's love scenes must be some of the most perverse ever filmed. There's a quality to them that is so cruel. There's something about Nick's films which is awfully worrying, but I think the magnetism of his movies is the wariness and worry they create. And that, like, there's a lot of atmosphere, there's a lot of worry in this movie and a lot of just chaos. Yeah. Uh, which is maybe more of a focus, like, substance and style more than, like, you know, like we were talking earlier, than, like, a, this linear plot line. Yeah. Yeah, very Lynchian. Uh, yeah. Even though it's pre-Lynch. But, <laughs> yeah. Or what year was Eraserhead? Eraserhead, I think, might have been around the same time as this. Um, Eraserhead was 77, so, yeah, right around that time. Maybe, I should look into, I, I'm a huge David Lynch fan. I've I love almost everything he's done. Uh, I wonder if he ever mentions Nick Rogue. There was a theory float. I mean, because I, I, you know, I do some research and Googling before we do these episodes. I, I couldn't quite fully buy into this theory, but there was one where they're kind of insinuating that Bowie's character, Newton, isn't, isn't an alien at all. And that uh, that final sex scene is apparently a pivotal moment for this theory because he just miraculously escapes captivity, right? Yeah. And it seems like, is this, like, they think it's a delusion and that this is all in his head. And there's a, I, I think there's just too much strong evidence about him being an alien, though, like having the knowledge for all the technological advancements and this right. and getting rich. Um, his body, right, obviously. But then there is also emphasis in one scene of Mary Lou taking her nails off, which yeah. could be to say, hey, like, you know, you can take certain body parts off even if you're human uh but then there's also his aging right like how do you explain well, that the age, the age or is that a delusion kinda, also i well, mean i don't know but well it's how many times have i mentioned the cabinet of dr caligari on this podcast but that, that's the ending of that is like the beginnings of that whole idea of was this a dream or was mm -hmm. it not it's was it all made up or was it not it was you know it's uh you, know, you ever see shutter island too DiCaprio. Yes. It's same kind of thing. Like, Mind was, was he movie, lobotomized yeah. or was he not? Right. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it just I, it doesn't I, seem to be like the. I don't buy that. And I, yeah. There just doesn't seem to be enough 
clues or hints that would suggest that. Like, you know, there's a lot of times where I can really buy into a theory because there's just so much evidence for it, but this, it just kind of seems like a bit of a stretch. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, yeah, because the whole thing was he had all these technological advancements that he sold and built this tech company. What was the name of the tech company again? Uh, what was it called? World, World Enterprises. That's what well, it was called. And then yeah. in the book, from my understanding, when they are perform- when the government's performing that experimental procedure on him, they actually do blind him. So in the movie, he just can't get, take the okay. lenses off, the right. contact lenses. But in the book, he actually goes blind. Okay. I, once again, I suppose that could all be in his head. He just thinks he went blind, but... I don't know. Now, when, when, yeah, so after he, I mean, we should get into, so he, uh, he builds a spaceship that he's eventually trying to figure out how to get water back to his home planet. And he's about to head back. Uh, Mm -hmm. They don't really show, did he have the water? I, I don't know. Or maybe... Just... Well, there's a lot that's left out. Yeah. You just assume that the water's he there. Must and have it, had it just, it. We don't yeah. see it. Um, yeah. And there's a cameo from Jim Lavelle, from the actual space pilot from Apollo 13. Uh, Houston, we've got a problem. Is he, he makes it? He's he's in. He's in the movie. Uh, he's on the tarmac as he's when you know when, uh, when Tommy Newton gets ambushed and yeah. taken by the government to a lair or whatever. And then he's in that bed. And he's kind of strapped in. Now, that's where I kind of was... I started to get James Bond vibes where, like, you know, the villain has taken him into his lair and, you know, I'm I'm going to blow up the world just as soon as I show you all my trinkets and stuff. And Goldfinger. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I kind of wanted that to take off in another direction, maybe. And, and, I mean, where it does go is fine, I, I suppose. But... I kind of wish they would have done more to him in terms of the experimenting. I got, you know, is that all that the the U.S. government would do to an alien if they had him in captivity? I, I doubt it. I, I think it would have gotten a bit more. You know, they would have maybe turned it up a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I, I find I, I kind of just wished it would have gone in a different direction. I, I don't know exactly what I wanted it to, to go into, but it just it kind of just doesn't get there that that's i think this movie in a nutshell it's not a bad movie i think this is actually a a very good movie but it's just like there's too much stuff like that that maybe holds it back from being like a classic 10 out of 10 yeah like i'd call this like a strong 7 out of 10 or something yeah i mean Uh, he ends up playing ping pong with very good form i might add uh as opposed to you know maybe a little bit of action would have been interesting like him trying to escape and then like a little bit of suspense maybe like, that could have been kind of fun i mean i guess I, I haven't read the book so i don't know how close to it it is and i suppose you know they didn't want to stray too far away but mm-hmm. yeah something different would have been maybe a bit better I, yeah you give it a seven out of ten yeah i'll do the fantano scale strong seven to a light eight <laughs> yeah uh i don't know i, 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 I think really that's similar to number uh, on it I think that's what it has on like Rotten Tomatoes. It's like eighty two percent or something. Eighty two percent isn't too bad for a. That's that's kind of where I am at defi- with it. You know? Definitely a cult movie. I'd imagine that Bowie fans, not that they have anything to say with about Rotten Tomatoes, but I think there's a Bowie cult surrounding this one. And I think once you separate that this like you can't really watch like yes you're, you're gonna watch this as a bowie fan but you can't really watch the movie and expect like a bowie performance right like you, you know it's not like uh like you're not watching him on stage put on like one of his you know ziggy acts or he's not you know do, you kind of have to 
yes, it's David Bowie, but you're going to have to remove the, the, the sort of the musical, the star aspect of it and sort of put your avant-garde film lenses on. You don't get magic dance halfway through. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the music in it, well, yeah, it's American. I think, you know what? I think maybe what Rogue was thinking was it's not only the man who fell to Earth, but it's the man who fell to America. And I think he wanted an American to make American music for the the American well, setting. Yeah, because yeah. there's flashbacks to, like, uh, Thomas Newton is seeing, like, the American settlers, right? Right, yeah. And yeah. they're seeing him, That's and they're right, like, yeah. what is happening? And so, yeah, there's definitely that American idea going on, yeah. specifically. Yeah. That was one of the cooler... Mo- I mean, one of the, once again, one of the moments that's kind of... Why is that in there? Is it just to get the American thing? Like, because that's kind of we don't really ever get that explained, right? You're kind of you always leave this movie with more questions than you have answers. True to which Bowie. is maybe <laughs> the maybe the point of it, I guess, right? Yeah, but, yeah. I don't was, know. It, it's it's a film that has me torn. You know, um, it has your rip torn. What rip, a name, yeah. rip torn. That's like, uh, is that like slipped fell? Like like, oh, Sarah was telling me that. Yeah, he like married somebody whose last name was Page or something, and when Rip they got an apartment, it was Torn Page. Oh, Torn was, was was on their like buzzer thing, their buzzer, you know, where you buzz into the the building. That's great. What about effects? Or prosthetics, you know, like the it, <laughs> when they age uh, Candy Clark, uh, who plays Mary Lou. It's not very convincing. Well, yeah, I, I was convinced that that delusion theory was right because I'm going, well, hey, only one guy has uh, has aged, uh, not Rip Torn's character. Who's the... Uh... Is it Buck Henry's? Yeah, Buck Henry's yeah. character. Yeah. He significantly ages. And then you look at Mary Lou, and I didn't... I, I actually didn't really notice that she aged. Yeah. So, but she did. Yeah. But it she, wasn't, like you said, it wasn't convincing, though. It looked like she just got some injections or something in her cheeks. Yeah. Like, yeah... Yeah, well, because that, and that's also that's the point at the end of the film is that he he can't get back home. It, we're talking about Bowie's character. He can't get back home, and he's got all this money, and he's he's kind of preserved his youth, but he's just got this. There's no, there's nothing to his life at this point, right? I wonder when it takes place, because we might be able to figure it out when you you know the record store. At the end, they, they walking through the record store. Oh yeah! So Young Americans is on display. I, yeah, that was, a, that was a good so Easter it's, egg. It's yeah. only 1975 then, so they went back in time. <laughs> well, yeah. maybe not, but um, also uh, you can see New Morning by Bob Dylan in the. Uh, yeah, that one stuck out. Yeah. What was Bowie's album called? That the Visitor. Well, not Bowie's album, but uh, uh, the Visitor. Thomas Newton's. Was record. it the Visitor? Yeah. 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 I, I thought that was the, cool. Yeah. I wonder if that exists anywhere like <laughs> subterraneans i suppose yeah uh christopher nolan said that when he made uh the prestige in the mid 2000s have you seen the prestige with uh hugh jackman and christian bale it's about it's like uh it's about like magic acts i don't think so it's one of my favorite movies uh like oh I'll say it here we go hot hot take time uh, it's in my top uh, t- oh, ten movies of all time really 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 good uh, Bowie's in it 
and that's not one of the reasons why I really like it, but it definitely doesn't hurt. Uh, he plays Tesla in that movie, and Christopher Nolan said that it was his performance in this where he thought, like, it has to be Bowie. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Tesla was the, you know, the inventor or whatever what the hell was Nikola Tesla. He was... Well, you're getting a... I mean, I'm sure he played the role just fine, but I'm going to guess that this movie didn't come out close to 1976 if uh, no. Christian Bale's in it. No. <laughs> so David Bowie's not quite this. This isn't the same David Bowie, the, the wrecked one that Mm-mm. played, a, you know, because it's for unfortunate reasons that he was so good for this role. Well, yeah, true. Uh, <laughs> David Bowie's not quite the same David Bowie in, when did that come out, in the 2000s? Yeah, it was five or so, six yeah. or something. Bowie's in better shape then. Much. Uh, I love the scene where he's watching all the TVs and he just freaks out. Get out of my mind, all of you. Isn't Roy Orbison playing too and during that? Elvis. Oh, the yeah, the music. Oh, Elvis is on TV, but yeah, Roy Orbison is yeah. playing uh, Blue ba- Bayou or Bayou. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I don't know that one very much. I've got a little tidbit here about the distribution of this movie. So Paramount was originally going to distribute it, but they refused to pay for the film after seeing it. They said that uh, it was different than what they signed off on. Like they thought it was going to be something completely different, I guess. And British Lions sued them and won. So Paramount just refused. When they saw the movie, they just said, no, we're not distributing this. Why would they have, like, yeah, that's, I don't, I, I, I don't think, I don't see why they think they could have won that yeah. lawsuit, like. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, but like, yeah. Hey, we, yeah, like, we, we go back on we, what we, like, yeah. We, like, we don't, I mean, we don't like this movie, so we don't want to put it out anymore, is basically what they said, but. Yeah, it's just, I mean, I don't really quite understand the industry, but something tells me that's not how it works. <laughs> no, and I think the movie didn't do too well, but uh, it, it, it didn't lose money. It, it, it at least broke even. Uh, no help to Paramount, though. The, the interesting tidbits that I had written down was that, uh, well, Newton's driver, Bowie's character's driver, was his real-life chauffeur, mm. Tony, Masi- uh, Tony Messiah. I didn't know that. Cool. Which is, you know, I guess, it, I don't know, does that make it more authentic? I don't, I don't know if that's guess. an important part of the movie or not, but... Doesn't he kind of betray him in the movie? Is he the one that turns him in? Or that kind of helps? Because... Well, he, Rip Torn, like, discovers that he's alien with that x-ray Shows camera. that he has no brain or yes. whatever. He's got he didn't no have anything. Yeah. Any, yeah. <laughs> he just had a... What did he have in his pocket? He had a... What was it again? It was a bottle or... No, I can't remember. He had something in his pocket, and that's all he had. And, <laughs> and then uh, the other one is that Bowie's girlfriend at the time, Ola Hudson, was the one that made the costumes, or some of the costumes for him in the movie. And that's Slash's mom from Guns N' Roses. No way. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. He like Slash would oh, always I, talk. I, yeah, that's you, right. Yeah, yeah you probably heard that before. Putting two and two together. Now. Yeah, that yeah. Sla- that he was dating Slash's mom. But yeah, she actually kind of had a, a hand in the costumes in this movie. Guess Slash actually has vivid memories of Bowie coming over, and he cool. thought it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking. You have a copy of Low up on your wall, and it's a still from The Man Who Fell to Earth. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting that Bowie chose two photos from movies for back-to-back album covers mm-hmm. or from two two photos from one movie and you know it it's just interesting that he decided to do that like is that maybe 
due to his state where he's like, uh, I don't want to do another photo shoot. Just take something from the movie. And, well, and I remember when I first really got it. I mean, spoiler alert, I really like the album Low. It's, like you said, it's framed on my wall for the next album. I'm not going to talk trash about Low when we get to that <laughs> album. <laughs> but uh, I always wondered what he looked like when he made that album because I just assumed that he looked like the cover of Low because that's yeah. what the cover is. You always picture the cover, but... You no, know, he had like a goatee, like a mustache or yeah. something when he made it, yeah. and it's not really well documented that period. There's only, there's few pictures that exist. Well, they're he mostly went, in the yeah. studio. He really went into, yeah, hiding kind of. So maybe he just didn't really have a. He didn't maybe put enough thought into his look, which he normally did. And you know what I've always kind of found disappointing with both the station to station and low covers is his hair is so awesome, like the colors, mm-hmm. but. In Station to Station, it's black and white, so you don't see it. And in Low, the background is the same color, so it doesn't pop the same way that well, it would if the cover was black or something. You can't quite see their, like the blonde streaks at the front. Yeah. It's kind of too much of a glare on his hair, but I, I still do like both covers. I think yeah. Low probably wins for me. I wonder if they... So the hairdo for the movie just kind of works, I guess, but... Or does it? Because he's trying to be discreet. He doesn't want to be known that he's an alien, yet his hair is as... It doesn't look like anyone else's. <laughs> I wonder if they said, can you change your hair? Or if they just let it go. And like, I imagine if they would have asked him, he probably would have had to dye it or something. But mm-hmm. they just went with it. Well, that was fun. Uh, that was different. It was a bit of a shorter episode. But I'm glad we took the time to talk about a movie. It's a good movie, too. I mean... Uh... Like I said, it's kind of a movie that has me torn. Uh, like on one hand, this is more of what I think I want science fiction movies to be. Like you know, they're kind of they're challenging. They're not like maybe obvious like Star Trek is. You know, spaceship, spacemen, and all that. You know, this is more focused on like human vices, and it uses all sorts of like grotesque imagery along the way, which is it's all really neat. But at the same time, it's maybe not executed as well as I would have liked. And I'm not even exactly sure how to execute this better and navigate through these ideas and themes in a, in a more captivating way. Maybe it's because so many things were left unresolved and just seemed redundant and useless in the movie. You know, like an idea is introduced and then it winds up being not even a red herring because it's a red yeah. herring sort of needs a purpose. There's not even a purpose for the red herring. I don't know. There's kind of a lot of moments that leave you scratching your head. Like I was saying earlier, maybe that's the point. I don't know, but... It's not enough to ruin the movie for me, but it's it's enough to maybe make me pump the brakes on how much I enjoy it. Yeah. I, I think if I were to start talking about this movie and, you know, shining all this positivity on it, being like, you got to see it. It's it's incredible. It's, it's so great. The imagery and all that. I feel like people would go, yeah, Jesse, he's Bowie in it. Yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> I understand. So I, I, I'm not going to say that. I, the, the movie's all right. It's not a bad movie, but it's far from great. Um... What's the Bowie album equivalent like to this? Like the man who sold the world, uh, maybe? Uh, no. That, it just, that just sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Would you Bowie, put it like a, a like a tick below that? The Bowie like, album equivalent. Uh, how about ours? It's solid, but I kind of want a little bit more. Actually, no. Well, but ours well, is ours is not stylistically kind of as, out yeah. there as much. Uh, black, and I was going to say like black tie, white noise. You watch it. Well, okay, black tie, white it. noise in terms of the style. Yeah, but 
in terms of like uh, the, the quality. scale, the, the quality, I think it's closer to like I don't know, outside or something. I don't know. I like, it's well, it's tough. I mean, well, no, I probably like outside better. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was a silly question. Kind of incomparable. I was gonna say it's like apples and oranges. Well, it's like films and albums. They're yeah, yeah. different things. This is now as a, I'm a I'm a pretty big movie fan. I, I prefer movie to uh, I prefer films to television. I I, I I mean I do watch my fair share of television series as well, but I'm a I would much rather watch you know in a month I'd rather watch four movies than watch one show. Kind of that's that's where I I stand in terms of that. I wouldn't recommend this to in, in a movie context, but I'd recommend it to Bowie fans. That makes sense. Yeah. Bowie fans have to see this. Movie fans, mm, you could probably skip it. it you're not going to miss anything uh, unless you want to unless you're excited for the remake that's coming out in months or whatever. Will you watch that? I I'll keep it on my radar. Yeah. I, I I don't know if I will, but I've got my eye on it. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm looking out for it, but whether I get around to it, we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't really watch movies too, too much. I like, I spend most of my downtime just listening to music. And if I have something on in the back, like in the background on TV, it'll be like adult swim cartoons or something to just keep my, you know, just something to have on the screen in the yeah. meantime. But I'm mostly listening to music. I mean, I, I watch TV probably more than movies. Like I, I rewatch The Wire every year. I rewatch The Sopranos a lot. That's what I'm into right now. Uh, you know, Simpsons reruns. Obviously, I'm always into that. So, yeah, I don't know. But it, this is a funny movie because I don't really look at movies as having replay value. I kind of watch them once and I'm done with them. But this is a movie that it almost possesses replay value for me because I'm trying to crack the code. Yeah, you know, like I kind of understood it a bit more on my second watch, and and even then, like this is only my second time watching it, you know, and I don't really return to movies, but albums will sometimes take like five listens to click for me. So maybe this is something we'll have to revisit or something. Yeah, I was I gonna know, ask, but... do you think you'll ever watch it again? I I probably will one more time in my life. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. it's not the kind of movie you say like, "Hey, Maisie, like you don't watch this movie with your kids." So I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You do what you want, but I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> What's the last movie you watched? The Man Who Fell to Earth. Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> What's the last movie besides this that you've watched? Oh, I, I have to think about that. Like anything current? I've watched a slew in the past uh, well, couple the, of weeks. The last movie that I watched and really, really enjoyed was this movie called, I think it's called The Green Room, about that band that performs at like a Nazi, they, they realize they're performing at like a Nazi bar. Oh no! And they wind up have they they wind up witnessing oh, a murder. Yeah, yeah. And they get and, and that's yeah. not a, really a spoiler because that's yeah. really early on in the movie. And yeah, I haven't seen that. I got it. They're I kind of yeah. they're kind of trapped in this room. Yeah. And it, oh, that movie was great. That yeah. was okay. That's my favorite movie that I've watched in the past year. Anyway, I'm sure I've watched some since, but that's the most. That's the one that's left the biggest mark on me that I thought was like fantastic. I've watched a few new movies this week or the last week and a half. Uh, started with The Power of the Dog uh, with Benedict Cumberbatch and uh, what's her name? Kristen Dunst. And that was really good. Then I watched House of Gucci with Lady Gaga and uh, uh, Adam Driver. That was incredible. Lady Gaga is an incredible actor. She is, uh, she actually took like, I think she studied film and like wanted to be an actress, but studied Bowie too. Oh, there you go. 
Yeah. She did life life on Mars at a she did a performance of that. It was shared to my okay. Twitter feed recently. Um, but then last night or two nights ago, I watched Tick Tick Boom with Adam Garfield, and that movie was incredible. Uh, it's about Jonathan Larson. Is it Larson? Jonathan Larson. He 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 wrote the the, the Broadway musical Rent. But it's about his struggle as an early uh, trying to write, and it was it was just really really good. Uh, he died very tragically, like the day that Rent was to open on Broadway or off Broadway. Mm-hmm. He was like thirty five or thirty six. He had a heart attack or something. It's totally tragic, but yeah, really good. Uh, I really like Andrew Garfield. But yeah, uh, that's uh, that's our first movie podcast. Um, we'll do it again. That's uh, the man who fell to earth. There, I said it right. I was making sure not to say the man who sold the world. Uh, Thanks for listening. I'm Jesse. I'm John. We will see you again.